grab a Bible. If you don't have your own, we have blue Bibles all around the room. If you've got a blue Bible, you've got a jump start because it's on page 973. 973. And it is Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 52 that we're going to be looking at this morning. It's 974, by the way. Did you see that? That's some hidden truth for you right there. 974, Matthew 13, beginning to read at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure from what is new and what is old. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth and we thank you for great stories that supply that truth to us today just as they did all those years ago. May we hear you speaking to our hearts and our minds and may everything we do and say be pleasing in your sight through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, welcome again, everyone, to Jacksonville Presbyterian Church. If you don't know me, I'm Richard Evans, and I get to be one of the assistant pastors here at the church. And as you were all made aware at the beginning of the service, it's a big week in the life of our church with Camp Levi going on with, as we say, we feel like it's half the church at least that has gone up north to Twin Rocks uh, to enable Camp Levi to take place, to bless families who are affected by disability. Now, you may be wondering why I'm mentioning that right at the beginning of the message. It's because it's the image I want you to have in your mind, because as I prepared for this morning, it really struck me that Camp Levi is one practical application of what is in this text this morning, because I've entitled the message, Valuing the Kingdom Leads to Kingdom Values. Valuing the Kingdom Leads to Kingdom Values. The whole Camp Levi experience from the prayer, the planning, the preparation, and the purpose is really a matter of showing in very practical ways the value of the kingdom. For those who are already in the kingdom, who know the, the treasure that that is, it enables, equips, reminds them, encourages them. And for those who are not there yet, perhaps this will be the week, right? Amen? Amen. It's the most valuable and yet free gift that any of us can ever receive. 
So as I say, I wanted that image in our minds this morning as we begin today. This short collection of parables. The parable of the hidden treasure. The parable of the pearl of great price. The parable of the net. And what some commentators have even described as the parable of the homeowner. So... No surprises, we are still in our summer sermon series in the parables. We've got one month left. Can you hang in with us? Are you looking forward to it? And then we're going to jump into Ephesians together for the fall. But I love a parable. I love a good story with a great meaning and purpose. And Matthew records these parables, earthly stories with a heavenly meaning, as we like to describe them, in rapid succession during which time Jesus is making a number of points about the kingdom. I'm probably going to say the kingdom throughout because some people get a little confused when we say kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. As we've mentioned before in this series, they're interchangeable. Matthew talks about the kingdom of heaven because he's talking primarily to a Jewish uh, community who wouldn't have wanted to say the name of God. And then the other writers use kingdom of God. So we'll talk about the kingdom, but that's what we're talking about together this morning. But as I say, he tells a whole bunch of different parables that hold the truth about the kingdom, or as some would say, that hides the truth about the kingdom within them. Well, talking of hiding, here's the first parable, and it tells of hidden treasure. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I don't know anybody else that can pack that much basically into one sentence, right? But we're going to unpack it just a little bit this morning uh, as we begin together. Before anything else, the kingdom is described as very valuable treasure. What is your treasure? What is something that's so meaningful and so valuable to you that you would do anything to hold on to it, to keep it safe? Now, I know from this pulpit every week that that question is answered from God's word. And for many of you, genuinely, that is the kind of answer that you've got rattling around in your heads right now. But I also want you to take a moment to search yourselves And to be honest with your answer, for some, your treasure might be possessions, house, job, relationship, family, reputation, to name but a few. If you've got a piece of paper or a phone in front of you to take a note, I want you to write down, just take one moment and write down what your immediate answer, your gut answer to that, what is your treasure is. And then hopefully by the end of this message, you may at least have had some time to pause, consider, and think about the value of the kingdom in relation to that, in the order of your treasures. Because any question I ask you in a sermon, I always have asked myself in the week preparing the message. And many of those things I just mentioned actually came to my mind, if I'm honest Along with the subsequent question, what order are my treasures in and where is the kingdom in that list? Is it genuinely first and foremost 
Or does it take back seat to my own possessions, pride, relationships, social standing? I've shared with countless people over the years, and it's been shared with me, that the right order in life is God, family, ministry. And yet, even I get those confused on a far more regular basis that I'm prepared to admit even to myself. All this to say that finding the kingdom and putting it first in our lives is clearly what Jesus is talking about in this passage this morning as he tells these parables. So why does Jesus talk about something so valuable, so important, being hidden in a field, buried in the ground. If you remember a few weeks ago when we talked about the parable of the talents, we said burying those kind of things, those valuable things, our, our talent, our treasure in the ground is a bad thing. We're supposed to be using them, right? Well, the truth of the matter is that this particular uh, treasure was in the ground because in the ancient world there were not safes. There were not uh, secure, uh, safety deposit boxes. What you had was the ground, Again, Camp Levi came to my mind, because if you don't know, it has a pirate theme. Yeah, that's why I'm here and not there. Um, (laughs) As a pirate theme. And when you think of pirates, you think of lots of things, but you also think of buried treasure, and you think of a map, and you think of a map to X marks the spot where the treasure is buried. Well, the thing is, in this narrative, there is no map. Seemingly, it's as if the, the, the man is unwittingly stumbles across the treasure. And yet when he does, he realizes perhaps it's what he's been looking for without knowing it his whole life. And he goes out and he sells everything that he has to purchase that field. And when he purchased the field, he purchased everything in the field. And so he and he alone was the owner of the treasure. Now, do not hear what the parable is not saying. It is not in any way implying that you can purchase the kingdom or purchase your way into the kingdom. Except perhaps in one sense, uh, Isaiah 55.1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Clearly, over and over again, elsewhere in Scripture, it is stated the gift of the kingdom and our entry in it is the gift that is costly beyond all we can imagine and yet is paid for once and for all by Christ upon the cross, by the shedding of his blood and his blood alone. As Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You were bought with a price. But what this parable is saying is that there will be other things in our lives that need to be given up, that need to change in order to fully experience the kingdom. James Montgomery Boyce, uh, the great preacher, put it this way, Martin Luther had it right when he wrote, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. Luther did not think, of a, think for a moment that salvation could be purchased by works or the renunciation of valued people or possessions, but he was determined that nothing, 
Not even life itself should keep him from God's kingdom. Again, we're back to having our priorities straight and in order. For those who wish to be in the kingdom, they need to change other things in their lives. Valuing the kingdom leads to kingdom values. And again, St. Paul puts it so well in Philippians 3, 8 to 10. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Here ends the lesson. No. Sometimes I feel you should just read Paul and and that be the message for the morning because he preaches it so well. But there are three parts to this. Did you know Paul was a Presbyterian? Well, I'll ask him when I get there. Um, There's the intellectual where we recognize the truth of the gospel. There is the emotional where we are drawn to what we have recognized. And then the volitional, in which we make a commitment to Christ and his kingdom. He is no longer just saviour. He is truly Lord. He is king of the kingdom. So what are the things that are holding you back from experiencing the kingdom fully? From accepting this gift of grace? For some, I have met on hospice, if you don't know. I, half the week I'm here at the church, half the week I'm with Asante Hospice. And uh, many experiences that I've, I have had, but particularly one that keeps coming up is that people on hospice, when they know it's the end of their life coming up, um, repeatedly many of them have said to me, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's going to happen. Even people of faith, because there's something that they've done or haven't done that they haven't let go of that they don't feel they can be forgiven of. They're still holding on to those things. On occasion, I've been privileged to watch as people have discovered the treasure of the kingdom, even at the end of this earthly life. And they've given up those things that they've been holding on to. They've let go and they've let God. And they've accepted the truth of the gospel. And that isn't just an end-of-life experience. What about the five-year-old that's at vacation Bible school? And God speaks to that child's heart, and a life full of love and grace and mercy begins there. Now, it doesn't lead to a life that's perfect and that's free from all the troubles. By any stretch of the imagination, because as many of you know, I was that five-year-old. But the treasure is just as meaningful, just as real to the youngest finder and the oldest discoverer. And in all cases, it must lead to wanting others to recognize it for themselves as well. Reality, of course, is that that does not happen for everybody. And Jesus is going to talk about that in just a moment in the parable of the net. Well, one last thing before we move on to the parable of the pearl of great price, and that will also be in that parable because they're very similar, but it is that the only person who could own the field was one person. 
Only one person could possess that pearl of great price. It wasn't that the man could dig it up and then suddenly give it away to other people. Each one of God's children needs to have their own relationship with Jesus, with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. As much as many of us would love, would love to usher in and to give our children, our parents, our siblings, our friends, and even, yes, our enemies a place in the kingdom, it is not ours to give, but it's certainly ours to show the importance of. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, it might seem that Jesus just goes on to tell the same story from a different perspective. And in some respects, that is what he is doing. Verses 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The lesson here might be in the subtle differences between the two parables. Unlike the one who found the treasure in the field, who apparently at least consciously was not looking for it, the merchant was actively seeking the pearl. He had some knowledge already about it. He obviously knew what he wanted to find. And when he sees it, he immediately responds. In many ways, this means all of us, whether we've been brought up around the gospel, and at some point we have uh, been encouraged, enabled, equipped by God to respond to the truth for what it really is, or those who God reaches out and wraps up in his love unto himself that are seemingly not even searching for him underscores for us that God is the one and the only one who bestows upon those he calls a place in the kingdom. Isaiah 65 verse 1. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. So whether you're here today and you know the Lord as Savior and King of your life, or you're in the room and you're still searching, not knowing exactly perhaps even what you're looking for, or you just happen to be watching online, nobody is here by accident. God has a plan to bring all of his children, all whom he is calling to himself, fully into the kingdom, both now and into eternity. Now, having made this point that the kingdom is valuable, Jesus reiterates the point he had made in the parable of the weeds, which is earlier in the chapter, by telling the perhaps lesser known parable of the parable of the net. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and will throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The image here, if it is properly understood, is one that leaves the sorting of the wicked from the righteous 
until the end of time. Just as it had been with the weeds, which were left until the harvest. The sorting of the fish is left until they reach the shore. Commentators have suggested that this is an image of a dragnet type of fishing. I'm not the pastor that knows anything about fishing. That's the other guy, right? But, <laughs> but it, really the idea is that this net is being dragged from the beginning of the world until the end. And that the shore is the time of judgment at the end of the age. And clearly, did you catch it? Whose job is the sorting out? Mark, Mark's looking at me. He knows. Someone else. Angels. It's no, in other words, it's not our job to know who's in the kingdom and who's out of the kingdom, right? That's not our judgment call. That is God's and God's alone is the angel's work in this particular situation. I love the analogy that was once shared with me, a fishing analogy in a sermon in Wales many years ago when it was talking about how we do evangelism. It talked about the fact that we need to be doing evangelism like fishing with a net. Just bringing the fish, bringing them in, and God does the sorting out. But the problem is that we tend to fish with a rod, with a particular type of bait, looking for a particular type of fish or a particular type of person, which means that people like us, so we don't have to change anything about ourselves, or we can just be comfortable um, without having to really accommodate anyone. Now, again, do not hear what I am not saying. I am not saying that we do not have standards, that we do not have essentials of faith upon which we aim to agree but that's why I love the motto of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. For those of you who don't know, that's the denomination or the group of churches that we particularly belong to. And the motto is, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Truth in love. This parable is somewhat harder to hear as it clearly warns about the fact that hell is real. It's not a fun place where Satan is hanging out and using it as his headquarters, but a place of separation from everything that is good and righteous. It is a place of suffering. Not, some of us, not somewhere any of us want to go or want anybody else to go. And the great lie of Satan is that the day of reckoning is always a long ways off. We have plenty of time to make a decision about Christ. It's a lie. It might be true for some of us. Some of us may have many, many years left on this earth and time to make that decision. But for others, that day might be just around the corner for any of us. For here, what part of what Jesus is saying is that there will be a point of no return. That the separation is permanent and he doesn't want us to be ignorant of that reality. So, if, again, if there are any in the room or online who are still sitting on that fence, not having made a decision about Christ in their lives, I want you to just be encouraged. Don't let another day pass without knowing the treasure. And that the treasure can be yours. Now we get to that question that Dustin jumped ahead to last week. 
uh, in his message. If you were here or if you watched it online, as I sat there and he started talking about it, I'm thinking, okay, I've got to do that again next week. We'll see. <laughs> but in very similar fashion, here's, here's the question. Verse 51, to the disciples, having told them all of these parables, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. Hands up if you think they actually understood everything. Okay, different question this week. Hands up if you think the disciples thought they understood everything. Yeah, okay. Much more likely the case. But we can see from their actions around Easter especially, and any, any time from this time until Pentecost, you can see that they really didn't understand all these things and certainly didn't understand them fully. They continue to grow in their understanding, and I believe that the same is true for us today. We discover the truth of the gospel, and we accept it. We find the treasure in the field, or we find the pearl of great price. But it doesn't, under, it doesn't mean we understand fully at that point. We begin the journey that doesn't end this side of heaven. I thought when I was young, and I'm talking very young here, probably seven or eight, I thought I understood mathematics. Anybody else got a mathematical brain out there? I, I thought I knew numbers. No problem. I even learned to read because of mathematics, because I wasn't good at reading. My teacher and my parents recognized that. They ended up writing out math problems for me, so I had to read in order to do math. They were really clever. I piqued my interest in reading, and, and it's thanks to that that I, that I can read. However, again, I thought I knew maths until there was algebra. And then there were quadratic equations and sine and cosine and x squared and all of these things that didn't even look like numbers half the time. And unhappily, I ended up failing my maths A-level. I also learnt more in my first year in ministry than I think I ever did in theological college. Now, does that mean my years in theological college were wasted and I didn't learn anything? No. It means that practical application of those things really allows for the kingdom to grow in our lives and be effective. And we get to be more and more like Christ. It's what we call in the church sanctification, and it takes a lifetime. And I believe this is what Jesus is talking about, this practical application, as he wraps up this section with verse 52. And as I say, some commentators even call this a parable, the parable of the homeowner. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. The homeowner brings out treasures from the past and from the present. A clear indication that the kingdom has been pointed towards throughout what we now refer to as the Old Testament and has been brought into reality in the New Testament. And as we know, the kingdom is here and the kingdom is still to come. And we live in that reality. The true treasure of the word of God is from the beginning to the end, and it's the narrative of Jesus. For he is full written on every page from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, the fall and redemption, the beginning and the end. And as I say, we live in that tension. We are able to do so. We can live in the kingdom now, and we can look forward to the kingdom 
to come. Charles Spurgeon once said, Don't you know, young man, that from every town and every village and hamlet in England, wherever it may be, there is a road that leads to London? So from every text in Scripture, there is a road towards the great metropolis, Christ. If we've discovered the value of the kingdom for ourselves, we need to exhibit it in our lives every day. It affects the way we act, the way we think, the best, the best of intentions as we enter into things, the conversations we have, the ministries we align ourselves with, the opportunities we take to serve, and even the way we react and respond to the people that God puts into our lives each and every day doesn't mean we're perfect. It actually means we realize just how messed up we actually are and how we each need forgiveness and repentance in our own lives. But far from stopping us walking alongside others, it enables us and encourages us to do just that, to be better ourselves and to enhance and enrich the lives of those around us to show the treasure that we've been given so that others can have their own treasure, their own place in the kingdom. Now, one practical way in which we do this in our church is our Stephen ministry. I told you you'd hear more about it later on in the service, right? It's part of our compassionate care ministry. And studies have shown that the United States is one of two countries where 30 to 50-year-olds have the least amount of support of this kind. And research also reveals that support provided by fellow church members helps adults cope more effectively with adverse effects of stressful life events. We're very fortunate. Our Stephen ministry not only ministers to people within our congregation, but also outside of our congregation, indeed outside of any congregation. So it really is about valuing the kingdom and then leading to kingdom values. If that describes a kingdom value that you would like to express to someone else or have it expressed to you, I want to encourage you today. You may not feel equipped, but trust me, the training equips you. Boy, does it equip you. And God, as we like to say, God doesn't always call the equipped, but he always equips the called. So we want to show you a short video that uh, describes some of this training, some Stephen ministers talking about what it's meant to them. Hi, I'm Abby. I'm Joan. My name is Joseph. My name is Dexter. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm a school teacher. I'm a parish office manager from Geneva, Switzerland. I am a school bus driver. I'm a physician. I'm a finance analyst, and I'm a Stephen minister. I'm a chef, and I'm also a Stephen minister. And I'm a Stephen minister. And I'm a Stephen minister. I am a Stephen minister. I guess getting ready to go into it, I was probably a little bit nervous because it was out of my comfort zone. Having come from the construction industry and having always been very results oriented, I was I knew it was going to be a challenge. We always think we don't have the skills or the talents, but God has gifted us. I've never felt a call before. Um, but I think it was a calling from God. I just, I can feel that calling from God. I think the Lord wanted me to be there. I know my faith has increased tremendously because there's a serious realization that Christ can do all things. 
the training really teaches that to you that you know God's the one doing the caregiving you're just there to, to provide care and to walk with them and to listen and to to be on that journey of whatever your care receiver is going through. From the Stephen Ministry training I've really learned how to listen to people how to empathize with them I've really learned what it means to be a Christian in service doing things for the Lord. Before I went through Stephen Minister training, I think I had a tendency, being being an accountant, being a chief financial officer, uh, to, to go in and fix things. And I think what Stephen Minister training has done for me is it's helped me recognize that, especially when dealing with people, that's not always the best way. It's transformative when you actually learn how to listen to people. In the Stephen Minister training, I grew, I think, in leaps and bounds. And it has filtered through every aspect of my life since then. I would sum up the impact of Stephen Minister training in my life as uh, just making me a better person. Uh, all these skills, this listening, this communing with God, this um, letting things go, not problem solving, those just make you a better person. And I feel it in so many ways God has used me in mighty ways that I would never have been used without the training. It's just uh, so refreshing and so energizing to see God change somebody's life and their hearts and as, they, as He draws them to Himself. And Stephen Ministry has, I feel, really gotten into my heart and, and means something to me that is almost hard to even put into words. To be a Stephen minister is one of the most rewarding things that I've ever done. I built a lot of buildings, um, but this is the most rewarding thing in my life. So please come to the table outside, find out more or sign up, and one of our team will contact you. And again, Please see the value of the kingdom and let it lead to kingdom values in your lives. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the lessons that we learn from it each and every day and that we would indeed exhibit those kingdom values. And for those who are yet to know the value of the kingdom, to enter the kingdom, if they're in this room or online watching today, would it be the day of their spiritual birth? And Lord, we continue to pray for Stephen Ministry, both here and those you are calling. It is throughout the world, and we pray today for another church within our valley that has Stephen Ministry. We pray for Westminster Presbyterian Church. Pray for their pastors and leaders and teachers, and particularly their Stephen ministers and care receivers, that you would bless them and guide them this week and beyond. Our ministry, our mission of the week, Lord, we think of the care of chaplains with Mark Ingalls, and we thank you that he was able to visit us this week. May he continue to be blessed on his journey as he travels around the West Coast visiting other chaplains and encouraging them. And Lord, we also pray for those who are in particular times of need, of healing, for Randy Templeton, Phoebe Allstad, and Lynn Toombs. And finally, Lord, we continue to lift Camp Levi to you as things get ready to start. May they have an amazing week, and would you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.